Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. Canada scrambles to get its citizens out of Sudan. We know that the situation is extremely difficult and until the ceasefire that happened last, uh, la- last night, well, Khartoum was one of the most dangerous places in the world. 70% of hospitals are not working. Streets are, uh, are extremely unsafe. Federal campaign managers are quizzed about foreign interference by a committee of MPs. I feel a lot of effort should be going into, uh, as legislators, putting together legislation to could plug these holes. We're all under threat here. Um, all parties could be impacted by this. And is there reason to hope the public service strike could soon come to an end. I have to tell you I'm confident because we are at the table uh, knowing that uh, workers are uh, allowed and we respect them uh, to strike, but the fact that we're at the table is where we're putting all of our efforts. Joining us is Michael Serapio, host of CPAC's Primetime Politics. Good morning, Michael. Oh, good morning. Good to speak with you. Yeah, so, you know, last night there was an emergency debate in the Commons on the whole situation in Sudan, it's obviously very volatile trying to get Canadians out of there. Uh, Melanie Jolie, the minister, spoke in the comments about the concern about, you know, an, a humanitarian crisis. Another MP talked about Russia getting its tentacles uh, in Sudan uh, with the Wagner Group. Anyway, there's a lot of concern about uh, Sudan, what's going on there, and scrambling to get Canadians out of there. What's the latest? Well, at this point, uh, as we heard from Canadian officials, uh, Melania Jolie among them, is that Canada is at this point uh, working to to get Canadian nationals out of Sudan. Uh, we know that there are uh, more than 1,700 Canadians uh, registered on the ground. And and when you speak to officials, uh, in, in particular those with knowledge of, of uh, the, the region, they believe that number is an undercount. And that's because mm-hmm. many people who, who go over to a foreign country do not actually register with foreign affairs or global services or global Canada at this point so uh the, the the number certainly is concerning for Canadian officials uh from the Prime Minister we heard that Canada is still considering uh sending a direct flight to to evacuate Canadians out mm-hmm. uh we also know that there are two Canadian vessels uh in in the Red Sea uh they may be used to coordinate with for example the US Navy the British Royal Navy to to get uh internationals out and i and i think that's an important part of this this you know this story is the fact that canada while looking at sending its own direct flight is also working with international partners to try to get canadians out uh, because as you know consular services have been temporarily suspended uh in sudan and mm-hmm. those uh, consular workers officials are now uh trying to help from a different location so so there, there certainly are challenges for Canada uh there are there's certainly great concern uh but it, to 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 paraphrase Melanie Jolie this has you know really been a span of about 10 or 11 days so the violence has escalated very quickly between this paramilitary group and the the Sudanese army so at this point Canada is really playing a bit of a catch-up game although when you look at our allies, uh, they have been more successful, it seems, at getting their uh, nationals out of Sudan. Uh, I was looking at the BBC this morning, and that 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 ceasefire and and mm-hmm. the ceasefire is necessary to 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 safely get people out. That has been on and off 
But in the moments where there has not been fighting, the, the British have been able to get out what seems to be a, a few hundred of their nationals out of the country. So so there has been some success stories. I think at this point, we have to wait from uh, for our officials to keep giving us updates as to where we are with the Canadians. Now, is it fair to criticize Canada since others uh, you just mentioned uh, have been getting their nationals out or, or Canada has been thanking them, Germany, France, United Arab Emirates? Emirates, Saudi Arabia, uh, helping evacuate Canadians. Um, you know, I guess the, the question is, why did Canada not get in there? Or is that uh, is that unfair? Well, you know, I think that is a question that needs needs to be asked of Canadian officials as we monitor the situation. I think uh, there are two things at play here. Uh, well, maybe three. And, and I think I'll address the first one. You know, I talked about the ceasefire. This is a dangerous situation, you know, for for uh, global affairs to 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 temporarily suspend operations and to to take diplomats out. That is essentially to to secure your employees, to secure the lives of diplomats on the ground, and to make sure that they're safe. And that speaks to just how dangerous the situation is. And that ceasefire, you know. It has held from time to time uh, ever since Monday midnight. But the difficulty here is that. This is two military forces uh, fighting a war against each other. Very personal. These the two leaders at one point uh, were were cooperating, mm -hmm. uh, were promising to bring about democracy in Sudan, mm -hmm. and then it broke apart in a very mm -hmm. violent manner uh, on the fifteenth. And so I think you got to look at that situation and and realize this is no easy feat. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the other thing you need to look at and at early or perhaps question. Is Canada's capacity? Uh, we know outside of Sudan, the the Canadian military's capacity uh, is 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 spread across very thinly around the world. Very much uh, uh, at this point focused uh, on uh, Eastern Europe and and uh, and supporting NATO's flank there with with Russia and in, in Latvia, but also you know police training forces, the involvement uh, with any number of things. That, so the, you know the Canadian military is is stretched. We know that, for example, in recruitment numbers alone. So mm -hmm. I think that's a reality mm -hmm. that we that has to be asked whether it played into this, but also. Uh, bring into the fact that when you think about the European countries like France, in particular, uh, perhaps more so with the UK, there is a longer history in Sudan. There are more assets in in Africa, and so so I think those are the factors you have to look at. Um, is it fair to criticize the Canadian government? I, you know, I think that's for others to decide, but I think it is fair to question why countries like the UK have been uh, more successful than Canada has. But again, sure. there, there there are logistical issues, there are historical issues uh, that come into play into this, I think. Of course, yeah. But especially if you're there trying to get out, like, where's Canada exactly? Yeah. So, and and um, we've heard okay. some of the stories of the desperation. It's well, not an easy situation at all for people. Absolutely. Being in such a volatile area. So, uh, Michael, let's talk about the House of Commons Committee, Procedure and House Affairs, mm -hmm. um, hearing from four campaign managers conservatives, liberals, uh, on Chinese interference and, and in the 2019 and 2021 federal campaign. So what are the main observations? 
Well, I, I, you know, I think the first one that uh, stuck out for me or stuck, sticks out for me has to do with Handong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that uh, a global news report basically said that uh, he, uh, the liberals were warned uh, against uh, having him as a candidate for the party uh, concerned about foreign interference. Uh, Handong has pushed back. And I think that's that's very important to note. He, uh, yes, quit the Liberal caucus, but he's also launched a, a, a lawsuit against global news, uh, essentially uh, negating their report. Report. But but yesterday we heard from uh, Jeremy Broad, uh, Broadhurst, who was involved in the 2019 campaign, and he basically said, yes, there were there there were briefings. The prime minister saw it. This was for information. But at no point was there a warning uh, to the prime minister or to the Liberal Party that Handong should not be a candidate for the party. And I think that's interesting in terms mm-hmm. of the Handong story because uh, his name has, has been associated with all of this. Um, yes. But a couple of other, you know, I think perhaps more um, relevant for me or interesting for me were the two conservative uh, campaign uh, directors because mm-hmm. uh, we, we heard from uh, the 2019 uh, manager for the for the conservative campaign and uh, Hamish Marshall and he was talking about how the, you know the, he doesn't know if the bar would ever be met for public servants to to set to set an alarm uh, for the Canadian public that there's something amiss with an election for for fear of uh, being uh, accused of interfering in an election campaign. So I think that that's interesting about what would set off the alarm. Uh, but Fred Delory, who uh, was the campaign manager for the uh, 2021 campaign mm-hmm. uh, with Aaron O'Toole, I, that of everything yesterday, to me, was the most interesting because he says, yes, there there was interference. Uh, yes, it may have affected a, a few writings, but at the end of the day, it did not affect the results. So for him, mm-hmm. the issue is not about going, looking backwards and figuring out what, what happened, what went wrong. For him, the bigger issue was to look forward because he says this takes a very collaborative approach to make sure that foreign interference, be it from China or from any other state actor, does not affect the election election outcome. And I think that was very interesting because it was, uh, for, for from a partisan, a very nonpartisan look at what needs to be done here, because uh, you, you speak to just about any security expert and they say this will take coordinated action. Mm-hmm. But right now, so much of this uh, issue is falling on, on, on partisan lines. Interesting. Yeah. And I think uh, when they talked about uh, that, there, there possibly was foreign interference in different writings, I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the Liberals pushed back and said, well, some of that was just about the debate over guns, you know, especially in the mm-hmm, urban areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the argument made that, you know, guns factored in more than uh, foreign interference exactly. in the, the campaign. At the but end of the like you say, Fred Delory, conservative saying we all have to worry about this with, for the next election. Like, you know, forget about who did what or whatever. Focus on how do we um, make sure this doesn't happen in the next election. So, um, so Michael, let's move on because uh, day eight of the strike is here. And uh, I notice uh, the, the union is urging everybody to get to Parliament Hill for a big rally starting in a few hours. So I guess MPs will be seeing uh, strikers when they head into caucus. Um, <clears throat> the minister, um, Mona Fortier, said yesterday she's quite optimistic. I don't know. Do you see any optimism? Well, I, I I don't know if I see any uh, optimism there. I, I will say that the PSAC president Chris Aylward, when I was speaking to him, he he does 
see progress here. And mm-hmm. he says, by the very fact that a couple of days ago, we, we heard from Mona Forte, uh, Mona Forte, excuse me, as she she outlined uh, the outstanding issues in, in the negotiations. He says the very fact he's, that she is identifying these issues means that uh, they're very much front in mind. And that makes him hopeful that a, a solution is near. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether or not it is, we'll see. You know, wage increases still seem to be the big issue, although uh, uh, Chris Elwood says that the union has moved on it, which means mm-hmm. that they've moved from their uh, 13.5% uh, over three years, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, demand and brought that down. Like he wouldn't say how much he's brought that down, yeah. uh, but it, it still seems to be the big sticking point as, as a few others, uh, for example, working from, from home, home, working. I, I mean, know. she said that's my, you know, that's a red line. We don't want to put that in a contract. Well, so, is that interesting though? Because the, as we know that because this is such a l- large union, there will be an impact on on other unions uh, across yep. the country as they're exactly. looking very closely to see what happens here. But yeah, is is it a hopeful situation? Uh, Chris Elward said so publicly. Uh, now Mona Forte. So perhaps. Perhaps. Perhaps the only people I've heard are happy about this are the downtown merchants who are getting more. <laughs> action because <laughs> um people are you know coming downtown to p- to pick it uh so anyway we're watching it closely and uh and and i think i i'd have to double check this but i'm pretty sure revenue canada said they're not extending their deadline for taxes so no for last i heard they they were not so right uh, does so not forgive anybody more stress <laughs> more stress okay michael listen have a a great day and uh and of course i'll see you and talk to you soon Okay, take care, Julie. Thank you. That's Michael Serapio, host of CPAC's Primetime Politics. Conversations are happening. Uh, we've been making sure that the mediator and uh, both parties are, are talking. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the National Post, Tasha Carradine considers how Justin Trudeau could leverage the PSAC strike against Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Poilievre. She writes... This strike is both a goldmine and a landmine for politicians. For the NDP, it's a chance to shore up their union base. For the Conservatives, it's a double-edged sword. Pierre Poilievre wants to maintain union bona fides and the party's working-class appeal. But he also calls for respect for taxpayers and restraint in government. In the middle of this sits a Liberal government. If the Liberals can settle the strike and avoid the possibility of back-to-work legislation, they will try to force Poilievre to choose between his union and taxpayer bases and steal Singh's thunder on labour rights. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues the Conservatives' attitude toward journalism is damaging their brand. He writes, Pierre Poilievre appears to be genuine in his contempt for many Canadian journalists. This is not only dangerous for democracy, but it's also damaging the Conservatives' brand. From a strategic perspective, if you flaunt your hatred and contempt for journalists, do you think you are likely to be rewarded with more favourable coverage? Once the opinion leaders have decided that Poilievre is not competent for high office, the consequences can quickly become very painful. Ask Andrew Scheer or Daniel Smith how their media-as-enemy strategy worked. Then study how Pierre Trudeau, Brian Mulroney, even Justin Trudeau, successfully navigated the media challenge, avoiding either anger or whining in response to their attacks. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. 
The prime minister will deliver remarks at the launch of the Official Languages Action Plan. He will be joined by the Minister of Official Languages, Jeanette Petitpas-Taylor. He will attend the National Caucus meeting and question period, then depart for New York City. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the caucus meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will attend the caucus meeting, then speak with reporters before attending question period. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a press conference in Ottawa. And Governor-General Mary Simon will continue her official visit to the Northwest Territories. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, April 26. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.